All right, uh, good to see everybody. My name is Matt Williams, and I have the great privilege of kind of leading us this week uh, in the teaching. Uh, so grab your notes, and um, we are going to plow some ground together, turn some new soil. Um, it's just a decade or so ago, maybe a little more, when I was uh, visiting my parents in the lower part of the state. I was by myself and was listening to the, the heart of some of the, what we now call men's roundtable, it was called men's fraternity. Uh, the original um, pieces of that were written by a guy named Robert Lewis in Little Rock, um, Arkansas. And I had to pull over on the side of the road uh, in a cotton field. And as I had to rewind and re-listen to that section again about masculinity and fathers and some wounds and what it meant to um, reject one way of living and embrace another. And I just sat there and thought, can this really be true? Can this person who I've never met speak truth that is relating to me? It's like he was sitting in the car with me, um, di diagramming my life and my heart. And so, so many of our men have had their, their lives changed by working through some of this material together. So our group time is important and our, uh, our big group and our small group time is important and want to invite you to be a part of it and grateful that you're here. Um, it, it, we're got, we get to deal with a very um, interesting piece as we over the last decade have broken apart um, men's round table into certain components and so here we arrive at the idea of work which um, didn't seem to be so big to me um, 10 years ago but now I get more clarity and our team gets more clarity of, of just how tremendous this idea is and what it means to us physically mentally emotionally and even spiritually and so that'll be part of our time is, is trying to diagnose some of that to give you some categories to think in and some language with which to think okay so that'll be part of my goal but if you said if you came home and you said here's what I'm going to do I'm going to give half of my money away to this um, project to this ministry to this to this nonprofit, I'm going to give I'm going to give half of my money away and then your family and your friends looked at you and said well why why would you do that why would you give half your money away to this idea to this entity and if you didn't have a good reason that wouldn't make any sense give half my money away but you don't really know why and you can't give a good reason for it that wouldn't make any sense but here's what we're doing with our work we're giving away half of our adult time and what's interesting about that is that most of us don't have real clear thinking about why. Why would we do that? Why am I giving my time here? And what I want to say is it's, it's going to be more than just I need to make money, all right? And I, I need to provide. It's going to have to be more than that. And, and the video from Castaway um, kind of gives you an insight on that. I mean, I love it, right? I love the movie. I love that scene. And we realized um, it, when we were teaching the, the material at one point, we had some young guys who'd never seen the movie. So I don't know what you're going to do, right? I don't know how you're going to live. But you get to that place where he stands back from the fire and he's celebrating. And he's saying, look, look what I have created. Which raises the question, who are you talking to? You're on an island by yourself. And then he turns and points to the black sky. See, look, look, look what I've done. Look, who are you talking to? There's, here's what I would say, is that there's part of us being created in the image of God, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, 
Okay, whether you believe you've fallen away from the church, you struck, you once believed and now you don't, no matter where you are on the spectrum of belief, what, I, what the case that I would make is, is that the idea of creating, building, working, establishing, making, that is a spiritual part of who we are. And we intuitively and instinctively know there's someone out there watching and we are not just functioning in a vacuum that there is the one who is out there who created first, who made first, who built first, who established first. And anytime you do it, you're just functioning like him. And that's why the instinct, the instinct is to say, look, look, I'm like you. You did this. I did this. Look at what I've done. It's a very interesting idea. So we want to explore that because we think there's more here than just, um, just the physical idea of work. There's a spiritual uh, nature to it. In the family that I grew up in, work was the highest ethic. It was the greatest value. It was our spirituality. It was our faith. It was our church. We went to church, but work was the ethos that shaped us. It was, and you'll see as you engage in work, folks will have a tendency one way or the other to either under-identify with work as it's not that important or over-identify with it and try to get meaning and value out of it that it can't really supply. So either undervaluing or overvaluing, under-identifying, over, we were an over-identifying kind of family, particularly from my dad. My earliest memories come from work in my family. My greatest moments of connection with my own dad were in the context of not fishing or hunting, but were in the context of work. As a little boy, I remember begging to get to go to work with him. I can remember sleeping in the front seat of the truck while he worked all night one night on a construction project in Columbia. And what I thought that was just the most one, it was like camping, but better, right? And I'd wake up every hour and look just to make sure he's out there. And then I'd go back to sleep. I'd go out and work a little bit. And I just thought that was, um, that was just the height of masculinity. And then later on, he started a hardware store. And as a young man, I'm working in that hardware store with him. And I'm not having the best attitude. And after this customer left one evening, he squared off on me in the back of that store. He said, let, let me explain something to you. He said, there's really good, hardworking folks who are coming in our store and they have money in their pockets and they have legitimate needs for things that we have. If we don't make sure that they get the things that we have and we get the money that they have, that shirt that you're wearing, I can't put it on you. We can't pay for the power. We can't eat. We don't have a place to stay. He goes, you understand that? And I was like, no, sir. He goes, well, I need you to get real clear, real fast and change this attitude. And the lights of over-identification began to come on is that we work and we make money and we build and we create and we establish and we become significant and we become, all that began to tumble into place for me. Now, there, there were some upsides to all that. I was taught this balance of pride and humility in your work and how it humbles you. I was taught that it provides for you the value of creating something, the value of being a blessing in the community, um, a lot of those values. But there were also some backside to those kinds of values, which we'll, we'll get to talk about in the coming weeks. Well, let me give you a look at your notes. Let me give you the bigger definition that we start with. If you haven't been through the original material, um, then this just is <clears throat> kind of give you a big framework that we can unpack later if you get a chance to do that material. But the core sin of masculinity, which relates to everything we do, is passivity, what we call passive. That a man will create a void. He will step back when he should step forward. He will leave to others what he should engage. 
He will save himself while others drown. And we, the, the unpacking kind of language is rejecting passivity is what a man is called to do, accepting responsibility, leading courageously. When you know things are not going to go well, it's a lose-lose, but you still go lead. And then expecting God's reward. So we're going to reject this idea that I can, that I can lay back. We're going we're gonna, to, like David, flee to the battle, move into it. We're going to lead through it best we can, knowing there's going to be failure. And we're going to expect that God's going to reward us. All right, well, let's look at um, some passages together. Number one. The idea that we have a deity that works. God is at work. A deity at work, number one. Let's read from Genesis together. If you have a Bible, you want to follow along, there's seats, but we, I put most everything in the notes. Verse one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep waters and the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light and there was light. And God saw the light and it was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night and evening passed and morning came making the first day. This first paragraph in the Bible is like this. Boom, 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 boom. Stuff's just happening. Right? We see a very active, initiatory, he is moving, he's on the move. It makes clear that God is active, that he's creative, that he talks to himself while he works. If you were to skim the first chapter, let me do it in days for you. Day two, separates the waters from the heavens and water from the earth. All right, day three, separates water from the land and creates vegetation. Day four, sun, moon, stars. Day five, fish and birds. Day six, animals and humans. Now let me do a word breakdown for you of action in chapter one. The word made, he made something, appears five times. The word said appears 10 times. The word created appears five times. The word saw, as in he evaluated it, he looked at it and evaluated it, saw is seven times, called three times, let, which is a Hebrew idea for make or cause to happen. You let something happen, you make it happen. That's used 13 times. The word separated six times. Almost 50 times in the first chapter, we have a very action-oriented God. Remember the old phrase, the army, we do more before 9 a.m. than most people do all day? Here you have a God who does more before the creation of the world than most of us will ever do in a whole lifetime, right? I mean, it's action, 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 action. It's just how he, that's the image that we are given, and it's very blue collar. Reinforcing that, here's a word. We're searching for a word in Genesis 2, verse 1. For the seventh day. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed on the seventh day, and God finished his work of creation, so he rested from what? All his work. He rests from his work. So now we know that, that all that action in chapter one, that was work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy and he rested. So we, now we see clearly all that action in chapter one, that was work. That we have God who is a worker and then he rests from it. So this is a very important distinction. Listen, there's going to be a few of these that you have to listen to and get the nuance of it. It's not as simple as that God created work, which is a true idea. Okay, that's a true idea. But that's not what this passage teaches. It's not just that God created work, it's that he worked. It's that he actually worked. That is a vast distinction. And what it does is, is it begins to say, if God is a worker and he works, 
and you were created in his image, then you were created to work. So work is not merely physical, it is also spiritual because the spiritual side of you, you're creating the image of God. God works, you work. So now work is a spiritual idea. And here's, I'm gonna take a step further. That when you work from the right perspective and you understand the, the spiritual nuances of work, not that it doesn't get out of balance and get cattywampus and build, we're going to talk next week about it being in a fallen world that, that contaminates it, but that it, it is, there's a mystical connection by reflecting God's image and bearing his glory in the world through work. There's a point of connection for you and God in that moment as there is for Adam. So it's not just that he created work, it's that he works. Work is divine activity. There is no sin to be fixed at this point. We have not, there's no sin in the world. So it's not that he's correcting anything. We're not post-fall, we are pre-fall, and God is working. Now here's another interesting application that's helpful for us. Is that we see already that work has value. Not certain kinds of work. Because this work's very blue-collar. Right? He's, he's building. He's creating. <clears throat> he's doing it. Um, he's, he's creating very physical, tangible things. This is not thinking work. He's creating something. So work has value in and of itself, not a certain kind of work. So we go, well, this, this work pays this much, and this culture values this work this much, so this has value, but this kind of work doesn't have value. I'm here, I can look down, or I'm here, and I can feel inferior. So now the freedom is beginning to appear, the idea of freedom, that work has value, not certain kinds of work that have value. So we'll see um, this creator, we'll see gardener in a moment, and then Jesus ultimately be a carpenter, very blue collar kinds of work that have value. Number two, not only does God work, but he does not work alone. Early on he does, other than three persons of the Trinity, but he commissions work. By that we mean he delegates work. Genesis 1 verse 26, he says this to himself, let us make human beings in our image to be like us, they will reign over the fish um, in the sea and the birds of the sky and the livestock and all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that go along the ground. 27, he created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Interesting, male and female. So they're distinct, they're different, yet they're both equal, created in the image of God. Verse 28, <clears throat> then God blessed them and said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, govern it, reign over it. So now we have the word reign used twice and govern used once. So in 26, reign over the fish and then fill the earth. In 28, reign over it, um, govern it, reign over the fish of the sea, all that. So the idea of reigning. Here's, here's a big old word that we don't use anymore, right? And here's, we have a blank for you to fill in. Humans are given dominion over the earth. Now, Western thinkers, far removed from Europe, we don't have kings and queens. We don't call them that, right? So we have negative imagery, negative ideas. Last king was King George III. Didn't go well. We've distanced ourselves far, far, far from that. So when we think of dominion, we think of oppression. We think of harsh. We think of self-fulfilling leadership that everybody goes to serve me, make my life better. That is not the idea of dominion. Dominion means to rule and in a biblical context so that those who get ruled are blessed. But humans are given dominion over the earth, the ability, the responsibility, and the authority to um, oversee, 
to have authority and responsibility for. Now, one of, you, you, you don't, you don't, you're not opposed to this idea in its essence. Like I give, I have, let's say I have dominion over my house, but I give dominion um, to my girls over their bedrooms, right? And sometimes that goes well and sometimes it doesn't. And I have to walk in and go, this is terrible. This has to be dealt with. I'm not cleaning it up, right? You're gonna clean, you have dominion over. And then the, the, what are the most difficult days? Birthdays and Christmas, where the room's already packed and now someone's gotta make difficult decisions, the one who has dominion over what leaves the room and what gets brought into the room so that we can still have um, some kind of balance in the world, right? And so this needs to be kept in order. I've delegated responsibility. You have dominion over this room and you have to handle it. This kind of responsibility is given over. It involves authority, responsibility, to ride herd over, over creation, to name it, bring order, accountability. There'll be an accountability piece. And in doing that is what's important. In, 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 in maintaining and asserting dominion over the earth. That is reflecting the image and the glory of God. You go, well, I don't really see where that's that big a deal. It is a big deal in a lot of ways. But the, but the reason it's a big deal to you is because in reflecting God's image to the cosmos, to the world, to the angels, to the universe, to, to the seen and unseen forces of the world, in reflecting his image and his glory in the world, there's actually a piece of that for you. There's a piece of connection and fulfillment and meaning for us in that. Genesis 2, the second idea, verse eight. Then the Lord God planted a garden. So we got farming now in Eden in the east and there he placed the man he had made in 15 and the Lord placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend it and watch over it here we go man's earliest responsibility another big word is cultivation cultivation is an old old word that goes well beyond the idea of farming but here that is the immediate context is that man's earliest responsibility is cultivation Cultivation assumes this, is that when God creates the world, and this is very important, when God creates the world, it is embedded with potential that he chose not to exploit and that he left for, for man, delegated to man, to begin to unearth and expose. That's what cultivation is. And you get it. We have, I have these massive oaks in our yard. And every year they drop these acorns. And within um, a couple of months after those acorns fall, you begin to see all these little oak trees about this tall until they get destroyed by my kids. But there'll be hundreds and hundreds of new oak trees. And you think through it, you go, well, what, where do all these little trees come from? And you think through it, wait a minute. Tree, acorns fell. And within each one of these is one of those. There is embedded in that shell this kind of potential that under the right circumstances can be exploited, can be brought out, can be seen. And so man is given the responsibility of cultivation. And it, it gives you the idea that we are on the hook for something. 
There's a responsibility placed on us to extract and to expose and to begin to bring to life the potential in the world around us. And like I said, it goes well beyond farming to cultivate, to uncover, to maximize, to produce, to develop. And this is really important to help and clean up our view and our thinking. I was on a mission trip with our student ministry a couple years ago in the Bahamas. And we're on in this yard that's just crazy it's got to be cultivated is what we're doing we're bringing it under control weeds are everywhere and but they're building a um uh, a playground and it's a little school for um disabled um special needs kids and so we're building this playground and we got to extend this climbing wall out but there's this rock in the ground and it's got to go right if we're going to extend this out and so it's 175 degrees and we are dying. I got these two, two or three young guys. We got a pick, we got a sledgehammer. We're beating on this rock, just taking it out a piece at a time. And so in between the breaks when we're talking, I said, here's the thing. Can, can one of y'all tell me why we are doing this? I mean, it's a million degrees out here. Everybody's about to pass out. And it's just us on the backside of this building here all alone. We're beating on a rock. Can anybody tell me why we're doing this? Well, we got to get a playground for these special needs kids. All right, that has, that has value. All right, well, anything else? Yeah, I mean, we, we, we clean the school up. We bring credibility to our message, the message of Jesus in this community, and it makes them more receptive to be able to hear the gospel. And so we do good works, then the good news can follow. I was like, that is so right. That's great. Our church is doing a great job teaching and communicating how we take the gospel of Jesus to the world. That's, that is great. I said, but let's do this. Let's just say there's no building. There's no special needs kids. We're just in the jungle. No community. Nobody else on the island but us. Now, this rock. What's the value of moving this rock? We've decided this rock is not in the right place. What, what's the value in doing this? They were like, no value. I was like, no, there is value. We were given responsibility to cultivate and to shape and to maximize. And if no one ever comes to faith because we did this work and no one ever sees the service that we bring, no one ever sees that, experiences it, feels it. The fact that we did this in the world, the kind of thing that God would do if he was here, he's a shaper and a molder and he cultivates. And now he's given us the responsibility of cultivating. If no one ever sees what we've done, the act of cultivating it is bearing the image of God. It is reflecting his glory. Even to the angels, they get to see that. And that is a different way of thinking. What we have to get clear on, if you're a believer particularly, is that no believer in the gospel of Jesus is truly self-employed. Is that we all work for a master entrepreneur who has, and look at the language, planted a garden, verse 8, 15, place the man in it, is that we have been placed. There's a New Testament corollary to this verse, 1 Corinthians 7, 17. Each of you should continue to live in whatever situation the Lord has placed you and remain as you were when God first called you. So placed you, that there's a sovereign God who places people, all right? Now, before we give you point three, let me give you some, some big categories that we will unpack over the next few weeks, okay? And so this will help give you some definitions. The first one is the idea of work. Here's our simple, easy, easy, easy definition of work. It's, it's energy expended. Energy expended. And we will unpack that this week, next week. 
um, ongoing. Second idea is rest. We want to define what rest is and we're going to give a whole session to it. It's energy recovered. Energy expended and then energy recovered. Recreation. Recreation is different than rest under our model and our definition. And so it'll, it, it'll stand on its own and it'll, it'll be thought of in a different way. It will be energy diverted. Energy expended, energy recovered, energy diverted, and then escape is really an important idea for us. And it is energy corrupted, okay? So we will talk about the balance of energy, how we measure it, how we, um, how we work through it. Number three, three of our five big ideas, a corresponding cause. Now, I understand we are introducing some, some new language. And over the next couple of years, we may refine that and come make it a little simpler, but probably not. All right, corresponding cause. Here's what we mean. It's the idea of correspondence. I'll read it and then I'll give you a definition for it. It's really not complicated. Verse 4 of Genesis 2. When the Lord God had made the earth and the heavens, neither the wild plants nor the grains were growing on the earth. For the Lord God had not yet caused rain to fall on the earth. And there were no people to cultivate the soil. soil. And then it goes on in verse 8 to say, And he placed the man there, created the man, put him in play. So we see that there is this need in the earth and then he creates man to go to work to fill that need. And so with the need and the creation and the placement of man, there is what we call correspondence. The two things relate, they're connected. So when you're watching a football game, right? And this used to never happen, it happens every, almost every play now. Somebody's helmet comes flying off. Then there's no moment of panic when the play's over and thinking, oh my goodness, 22 players. How will we ever find the one whose helmet that belongs to? It's pretty obvious. He's the one guy not wearing a helmet. And he walks over and scoops up his helmet and slips it on. Because the one without the helmet corresponds to the helmet laying on the ground. It's just not that complicated. You see a need, you see a lack, and you see that which can cover it and fill it. And here, you see this need or this lack. There's someone that needs to be brought forth to cultivate. So there's a correspondence between the man and between the earth. The earth has a need and the man is created in correspondence to that to pull out its potential to develop it. And here's what we got to get down is that it is part of his purpose it's how he reflects the glory of God. It's how he bears the image of God. It is how he connects. It is how he connects in so many ways on so many levels. So when a man says to me, man, I, I'd rather, I connect better here than I do at community group. If I take a group of guys down to Louisiana and we work on Katrina and we're working together, that binds us way better than community group. I'm like, yes, it does. Because you were created to correspond to that. Community is a discipline that we bring about. How we get there, there's a hundred ways to get there, right? But this is very natural. So my wife and I for years have been, would do, you know, premarital counseling or marriage counseling or um, just meet with people and help, you know, do what we can. Broken people helping broken people. But there are some times that we will have been with this couple and that's marriage is coming apart, something wrong and... We'll get in the bed that night and she'll, she'll look at me and she'll say, what, what is wrong with that guy? And I'll say, babe, I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not 
I don't know. And she goes, you're supposed to know. You get paid to know. I was like, I don't know. She goes, well, we talked for three hours. You don't know? I was like, no, I don't know. I was like, I tell you what, though. If I take him to work for three hours, I'll be able to tell you. You give us something really hard to do, and we go work at that for three or four hours, we get back, I'll tell you everything you need to know about him. I'll tell you why that marriage ain't working. Because there's something about how we were created that is oriented towards the, the earth, and it is what fulfills and connects us. It is what exposes us. It is what brings to life even the darkest places in us. Verse 20 of that same chapter. It says, he, which is Adam, gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, all the wild animals, but there was no helper or is there suitable, just right for him. The word help, helper doesn't translate great into English. It's this essential counterpart, this complement, this one who lends strength and brings strength. So here's what we saw, is that the earth was created and it lacked, and then man was created to meet that. Now man has been, he's on mission, he's been given something to do, and now he lacks, and she's created. So his correspondence is towards the earth. Her correspondence is towards him. That is that deepest place of connection and fulfillment. Now, they are created equal, yet they are different. They are complements to each other. And just as his co he corresponds to the earth, she corresponds to him. And it, and it doesn't mean, oh, well, you're saying a woman only exists for a man. She can't work outside. The, that's, not, that's not at all this conversation. That's not what we're talking about. It is that the nature of fulfillment in man and woman, though they're both created to be together and find fulfillment in each other, and they both can work and find fulfillment in work, but the nature of fulfillment is dramatically different and how they're wired and created. And more important than that, beyond how they feel, how they reflect the glory of God and bear his image and connect with him is also dramatically different. So that's the theological piece, all right, those first three. We're imitating God by working, we're obeying his delegation, we're fulfilling a created purpose. Now here's the practical stuff that we uh, introduce to you and then we will continue to unveil and think about and cause you to think about um, over the next few weeks. Purpose and work, which is why most of us are here. Right out of the gate, fulfillment versus idolatry. If you come to work with the idea of personal fulfillment, you are doomed from the start. If the great motivator is personal fulfillment, self-actualization, as Maslow might say, right? I mean, if that is, if that is the goal, we, 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 will, we will crash early, we may crash in midlife, or we may crash late, but there will be a crash around that, okay? So we know right there, because when we elevate something to a place, when we over-identify with it, or we, we put too much weight and responsibility on it, then it becomes an idol, let me give you an example of what I mean by idolatry because you're thinking that's what ancient people do. Um, downtown we have the Liberty Bridge and I think we have, I think we have a slide for this. Liberty Bridge, um, 345 feet long, the big mast in the middle, there's a few of those. They weigh 28 tons, 90 feet tall. The big cables in the back that anchor those are 80 millimeters, all right? I mean, it is, 
There's nothing in the States like it. There's a few in Europe like it. There's nothing in the States that has this kind of suspension bridge. I mean, it's, it's great, right? Most everybody has been on it and enjoyed it. And I've been on it with my family. It sways a little bit. My wife doesn't love it, but I'm brave. So I take my family on, I'm good, right? But here's what I'm not doing. I'm not gonna take a dump truck with 10 tons of gravel and drive it across it. You know why? It's pretty obvious. It's just not created to do that. And you go, well, it might. I mean, it's because these are big cables. Right, yeah, well, I hear you. Right? But I, I'm not. That's just not what I'm doing. Well, it's not that fall of a far, a fall, uh, fall to far, of that far to fall. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how far it is. I don't care. I'm not doing that, right? Because that bridge is not designed to do that. And here's the problem of over-identification is that um, it is not designed, the idea of work, to bear the weight of your soul. It is just not strong enough. The idea of work, as powerful and important as it is, it cannot carry the weight of your idolatry, your affections, and your worship, which we will all do at certain times, right? It just cannot bear that weight. It will crumble underneath you. So we have a problem of over-identifying we have to deal with, but we also have the problem of under-identifying. Let me give you 10 things to stir your thinking, all right? And I'm gonna run through these. You jot them down. We're gonna have more time to think and talk and unpack, but here's the idea. This, the goal is to begin to help thinking, help our thinking and connecting the dots between meaning and our work without overdoing it. The first one is this. Here's a valid idea for establishing meaning and fulfillment in work. The first one is this, making money to provide for your family. That's a biblical idea. To provide food and clothes and shelter for your family. God provides food, he provides clothes, he provides shelter, he takes care of people that he loves. So when you take care of people that you love, what are you doing? You're doing a God thing. You're acting like God, you're thinking like God, you're feeling like God, you're taking responsibility on like God. It's a great privilege. Number two, being skillful or excellent in your work. It glorifies God. Skillfulness or excellence in work is something that bears his image, that reflects his glory. God is skillful, and when we're skillful, we reflect him. So the plumber who lays under the house in the dark and sweats that pipe and begins to solder that thing together and he does it right and it starts off and he doesn't get the right fit and he does it again and he gets it right and it's in the dark and no one's ever going to see this is good enough to help to handle the water pressure but that's not what we're doing I'm going to do it right that person who does that work in service of someone else and it is excellent he glorifies God there's a connection to the eternal in that moment. Third idea. <clears throat> when we function with integrity and joy that creates credibility for evangelism. Now some of us thought this is the only way you ever get meaning out of your work. Is you go in and you lead everybody to faith in Jesus and they're like, oh, I'm going to heaven now because of you, right? And that, is that valid? That is apt. But when we have when we have excellence, when we have energy, when we have joy, when we have integrity, and it creates credibility for the message of Jesus, that is a valuable thing. It is not the only thing, but it is valuable. 
and can create meaning in our work. Fourth idea, working for social justice in the world. Social justice. When your efforts go to make sure that underprivileged children have food to eat or have opportunities to go to college or get education. Fifth idea, creating something that is new and beautiful. Creating something that's new. Does God create things that are new? Absolutely. Does he create things that are beautiful? Absolutely. So when we do that, we're functioning like him. When you write a piece of music, and you build a table, when you develop a subdivision, you create something that's new, 